Welcome to the Lifehouse Message Podcast. Please make sure to follow or subscribe to this so that you can get all the latest messages. We hope that you are inspired, empowered, and encouraged by the message today. Let's enjoy. Well, hey, church. Happy Chinese New Year. Happy Lunar New Year, whatever you call it. Hope you're having a great celebration if you're in one of those cultures right now. And also, we have Valentine's Day coming up this week. And so I get to be able to share with you about marriage, which I'm pumped to do. But first, let's take a moment just to pray and give this time to Jesus. Lord, we thank you that, uh, that you designed marriage and you know exactly what you're doing. I pray that today you would speak to us about this important, important part of our lives. And I pray that we would all leave feeling lifted, encouraged with some practical steps to, towards great marriages. So thank you, Jesus, for the t- this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Well, church, if you don't know me, my name is Richard. I'm here in Lifehouse in Hong Kong, and it is my privilege to be able to share God's Word with you today. Today's message is called, What is God's Plan for Marriage? And I think it's an important question because in our cultures, we see a lot of different things modeled about marriage. We, we see a lot of definitions of marriage, but I want to know not what the media thinks, not what Hollywood thinks, not what... Uh, maybe our parents who had a bad marriage thinks, I want to know what does God's word say about marriage? After all, God designed marriage. In in Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 1, we see the wisest person who's ever lived, King Solomon, right? If you know about him, he's literally the person that God said, okay, I'm going to give you wisdom. There's been no one as wise as this person who's ever walked the earth. And this very, 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 very wise man says this to his wife in verse 1. He says, You are beautiful, my darling, beautiful beyond words. Your eyes are like doves behind your veil. Your hair falls in waves. And here's where it gets interesting. Like a flock of goats winding down the slopes of Galad. And I'm sure that that's a cultural reference that probably made sense back in those days. Uh, I'm certainly not going to tell my wife that her hair looks like a flock of goats uh, but but what he's doing is he's starting off he's encouraging his wife he's complimenting his wife what a smart man you know building up building up his spouse and we see this real wisdom here we see this is this is good this is a great marriage but we also know that this is not the full picture of marriage. And while, yes, we certainly believe in romance and, and all this good stuff, it's not, you know, marriage is not always just so flowery all the time, is it? If we can be honest, we, we, we understand that life does also have its challenges and so does marriages. Real good marriages take work. And even Solomon, if you look at his marriage history, it actually wasn't very good. Even though he was the wisest person on earth, marriage was a real weakness to him. He had multiple wives. It was outside of God's design and he ended up really paying the price for it. It really affected his whole destiny. And so marriage is not easy. And if you think about it, when you even look at the Bible, we we don't see a lot of great examples of godly marriages. We see a lot of bad examples And I think that's because it's accurate. I think when we look around in life, sadly, we probably see more bad marriages than we see healthy marriages. Yet I want to tell you 
that if you stick with God's design, if you get His word in your heart about this important area of human relationships, you can have an amazing marriage. And I'm speaking from experience here. I do have a great marriage. It's not perfect. Ask my wife, call her up. She'll tell you, um, I'm not a perfect husband, but I will tell you this, marriage done God's way is awesome. And I want you all to see that in Scripture. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to look at Scripture to see what God says about marriage. Not our culture, not Hollywood, not our friends, but God's Word. And there was a moment in time when actually someone came up to Jesus and kind of challenged him around the idea of marriage. And he said this in uh, Matthew uh, 19, verse 4 to 6. He said, haven't you read the Scriptures? I think this is a great reply. Jesus is saying, hey, it doesn't matter what your opinions are or what your friends have told you, what everyone else is doing. Haven't you read the Scriptures? Because isn't it God who created marriage? And what he, did, what he does is he goes all the way to Genesis, right? The very beginning of the Bible, the first two humans that God created, Adam and Eve, and he, he mentions the scriptures around then. It's, it's, Jesus replied, they record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Since they're no longer two, but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. I want to tell you, in marriage, God joins two people together. I've heard it said sometimes that oh, marriage is just a piece of paper and you could just live together and you could just have a relationship. Why do you even need to get married? It's just something from the government or whatever. No, it's not. This is God's design. This is two people coming together as one. God is putting his spiritual you know, impact onto those two people and they're, become, they're joining each other, united. They're no longer two. In God's eyes, it's one unit leaving their father, leaving their mother and coming together. And I remember when I, you know, when I first was in those first few months of uh, having a, a brand new wife and my life with Janice and uh, nine years ago we got married and I was so excited and there's so many wonderful, cool things. Uh, you know, when you get married, it's such an awesome change. Like everything levels up at once. You go from being this kind of I don't know if you're a guy, like maybe a rough little guy and you're, you're kind of like not real, uh, you know, you need to work on your, your cleanliness and all of that. And then you marry someone and then she's going to help you and suddenly you're going to get better. And thank you, Janice, for helping me become a real man. And you know what I mean? Like you're, you've got someone who's alongside you, helping you. And Pastor Rod talked about that last week. Uh, we, we marry someone, they become our helper and we're helping each other in life. And I felt like, when I married Janice, I actually, the summary of how I could describe it to you was my life was already headed in a good direction, thanks to Jesus. Following him, he was leading me somewhere good. I was already going somewhere good as a single person. And I want to encourage you single people, make sure you're following Jesus. He's leading you somewhere good. But when Janice came alongside me and we're moving on this journey together, I felt like I got rocket boosters in my life. It was like a picture of a rocket and we're shooting together 
forwards into God's plan for our life. I really felt that. It was like my life went turbo mode because we were moving together to United as one. And as we come together as one, there's some important things to understand. Ephesians 5 verse 28 to 29 says in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. Paul gives this beautiful picture of Jesus and his love for the church and how he gave his, himself for the church. And that's the image from, for us guys, married people out there. We, we, we're supposed to put our, our spouse first. Our spouse now comes first and her, nourishing her, nourishing them, taking care of this incredible person that God has put in our life. We become one. And it may seem obvious, but they've got to come first for all the other people who walk on this earth. Our spouse must come first. And I think sometimes we can overlook this. Sometimes maybe we can prioritize other things or other people and and yet yet our marriages you know this person that's committed their whole life together if we can help them to flourish we're the winners <laughs> you know i feel like a winner i married janice i feel like a winner i married someone who's amazing and i want to see her flourish in life because as she flourishes i flourish because we're 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 one When I flourish, she flourishes. And when I struggle, she struggles. And when she struggles, I struggle. Happy wife, happy life. You know the saying. You know, there are times in our marriage where we can push for our own way and I'll be the winner and she be the loser. And, you know, that's just not a great way to live your life. Anytime our spouse loses, we lose. It can't, we can't, we can't have that kind of win-lose mentality in our marriages. In fact, every Saturday morning, there is a little battle going on in our household where there's these two restaurants that are near our house. We want to go out for a late breakfast, had a good sleep in, ready to go and get a late breakfast, usually racing there before they close their breakfast menu. And there's two options. And my wife likes this one and I like this one. And our kids are kind of torn in the middle. They, in fact, they probably like her one a little bit more, to be honest. But anyway, she's poisoned them, okay? All right. And, uh, and so we, we'll, we'll have this battle, but it's not really a battle because I don't just want to win and get my restaurant every time. I want, I want my, life, my wife to be flourishing. I want my wife to be enjoying her life. And, you know, if she's had a real hard week, I'm like, let's go to your one today, you know, because, because I care about her. When she flourishes, I flourish. Happy wife, happy life. And the same, the opposite is also true. When we tear down our spouses, you know, when we gossip about them and their weaknesses to our friends, or when we when we come home from work and we dump all all our negativity onto them, or uh, you know, our grumpiness onto them, or when we make selfish decisions that are really for us and don't really think about their needs, when we hold unforgiveness in our in our hearts towards them, like. These think we're tearing down them, but we're tearing down ourselves as well. And the opposite is true as well. If we encourage them, if we support them, if we compliment them and show our love to them and make decisions around their, what's best for them, then obviously we're going to reap the rewards of a flourishing spouse. And I really want to encourage you married people. Here's a good goal. Help your, help your spouse to flourish. 
That's a great goal. If both of you are helping the other one to flourish, we're going to see great marriages happening. And, and I think if you're committed, you know, if you've committed everything to being with this person, we're going to do life together forever, right? Till death to us part. Then, hey, I want to make sure that we're working towards flourishing together because till death to us part is a long time. In fact, I remember about six months into being married, one day I woke up and I you know, saw my wife next to me and I realized, man, if you were anyone else, I would be so sick of you by now. Like six months of you always being together, like, but because it's you, I'm, it, it, this is a joy in my life. And you know, it, it's a long time to be together, a, a life commitment. We want to make sure that we're, we're sowing into our marriage, we're sowing into our spouse and helping them to really flourish in life. That is God's design. And that's not how a lot of relationships um, really work in, in, in a lot of the world. It's not how uh, you know, Hollywood and, and, and the media presents relationships. It's, it's more about what can I get out of it, but that's not what builds a great marriage. It's what can... What can I do for my spouse? And, and I get that that sounds very romantic and maybe you're thinking, well, that's not really practical and, you know, do you what? Do you not have any disagreements? Well, of course we do. <laughs> Once again, ask my wife. You know, if it, we do not have a perfect marriage and we have to work through stuff and a lot of marriage is actually iron sharpening iron and, you know, having to, having to correct someone with a heart of, it being in their best interests for their future. It is a heart to help the person flourish. In fact, for a long time, my wife has been helping me to smile more, okay? I have a, I have a bad thinking face. When I'm thinking, I get very focused like this. Hmm. And sometimes my wife will come in and she'll say, Richard, have you smiled today? And I hate that question because I know what it means. It means I'm not smiling. And sometimes I'll start sarcastically say, yeah, I think I smiled at like 9.30 a.m. in the morning or, you know, like, but I know what she's trying to do. She's not trying to make fun of me. She's not trying to push me down. She's trying to help me be better. She wants me to be a smiley dad because I want to be a smiley dad. I don't want to look like a grumpy face in the household with my little kids. Her, her heart is to see me flourish. So yeah, the, we have to work some stuff out. We, we are going to have some disagreements. It's not all just flowers and, and you know poetic, romantic stuff. There's the practical side as well. And uh, the, so there's some really some things that we need to adjust there in our thinking. And I, I think that's realistic. I think that's real. And I've experienced over the last nine years that you can have all of that in one and have a great marriage. You can have the challenges, but you can also have the sweetness as well. And I believe that it should actually all go together and you're both going to flourish. Now, one of the things that is interesting about, you know, putting your spouse first is it actually means that other people become second. And in Matthew 19 verse 5, we already read it, but let me read it again. It says this explains... Jesus is saying this, by the way. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And there is a leaving when we marry someone. We're actually leaving the old family unit. So my second point is that we're to leave, but also to cleave to 
our partners. And this is a kind of English expression to leave and to cleave. It talks about marriage coming together. You, you cleave, you hold on to one and you actually leave. But it is true. It's biblical that we actually should be leaving the old family unit. And it's never rejection of our parents. It's just saying that this now must come first in my life. If we're going to raise great kids, I've got to protect this number one. I've got to do what's in my wife's best interests, even if maybe sometimes our parents disagree or someone else like this. And for me and my wife, we have an international marriage. I married a girl from Hong Kong. I'm an Australian. We do things very differently. And our cultures in the household is different to her family culture and different to my family culture. And I actually, one of the things I love to do with my boys, I got four boys and you better believe we're in the living room wrestling. Okay. You might've heard me talk about this before. We love a good wrestle in the living room and the boys are stacks on, they're jumping all over me and it's a lot of fun but I remember when Jan's parents first saw that as they, they as the kids were little you know they're a little bit concerned about the safety of the kids their heart was in the right place but I wasn't I wasn't hurting the kids and I know that Jan had to kind of settle her parents and say it's okay it's all right they're just having fun and because it wasn't their family culture it was just different and uh, this is the way I was raised and and I wanted to do that with my boys my boys love it and now I love I love seeing the the look on my parents-in-law's face because they'll come over and we'll be resting in the living room. My boys are a lot bigger now and they're really giving me a, a run for my money. And uh, I, I see my, my um, parents-in-law laughing and I see that they've, they've come into that culture, but we had to really set that. You know, it was something that we had to make a decision that actually this comes first and we, we can't just do everything that our, that our parents want and it, because we have to build a new family unit together. Does this make sense? It's never a rejection of those people because they're probably second. You know, after after this unit, they're number two. They're very, very important. But I, I really want to encourage you anytime where we're, where, where this family is becoming second or third, there's going to be problems in our life. And um, sometimes we can be listening to our mom, maybe more than our wife. Maybe sometimes our dad can have a louder voice in our life than our wife. Maybe sometimes our friends can have a louder voice in our life or even our boss. Maybe even sometimes our kids can have a louder voice than my wife. But if we want our marriages to flourish, we have to understand that there's, there is a leaving and, and that this, this is going to be first. Happy wife, happy life. Come on, all the married people, give the Lord a hand. So let's come to the big one. Where does sex come into all of this? Let me share with you that God planned sex for marriage. Sex is a joining together of two people, one flesh, unity, united together. And it's almost like the physical representation of a spiritual thing that is happening. God joining two people together spiritually, but there's also a physically coming together. And we give each other our bodies in marriage and we've ne- we, we don't give it to anyone else. There's an intimacy in marriage that you cannot find anywhere else when it's done God's way. And we're sexual we're sexual beings. God has made us with sexual desires and within the, the, the boundaries of a, of a marriage, a loving marriage, 
God gives us uh, this incredible gift that we can give each other and enjoy in our marriage. And it's going to be something that brings warmth to your marriage. It's going to help you uh, keep that affection, that softness towards each other. It was designed for a purpose. And even beyond just having kids, sex is designed to kind of protect and, and bring warmth to the marriage. And, you know, the world just can't, the world has tried to cheapen this and the devil has tried to cheapen sex to just be something physical. And it's so much more than that. It's, yeah, it's physical, but it's also an emotional connection together. I love this person. Then it's also this decision that we have decided to spend the rest of our life together. You know, sorry, Janice, you're stuck with me. I've decided to spend the rest of my life with you. We've made a commitment. So there's a, there's a mental thing there. But then there's also the spiritual, the God coming in and putting his blessing on it. And we, we become joined together. It's, it's all of this in one. And the world will try to say that it's just cheap and you can just have it with, with anyone. Well, yeah, that's just the physical side of things. But there's so much more to this. And unfortunately, the world doesn't even know what this tastes like. It's so precious what God has given married couples. I often say it's the best marriage gift, right? The wedding gift. You'll bring a, 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 a present to the wedding. Well, God gives you the best present. He gives you your wife. He gives you your husband to enjoy each other for the rest of your lives. And in Paul's day, there was a lot of problems with sexual immorality, just like today. We see problems with pornography and, and uh, people cheating on their spouses and sex before marriage and all this stuff. It was, it, none of this is new. It's been going on for thousands of years. And Paul actually speaks to this in 1 Corinthians 7. And he talks about how actually this sex within a marriage is actually designed to protect against sexual immorality. So verse 2, he says, But because there is so much sexual immorality... Each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. Paul's actually saying that we should have our own wife, we should have our own husband so that we can fulfill each other's own sexual needs. It's actually an important part of marriage life and it protects us from sexual immorality. And, and so that's why it's so important that we keep this flame alive in our marriage. And I understand that there may be things come up that uh, you know are not practical or whatever, but hey, this is an important piece of the marriage picture that God gives to us. I want to encourage you, enjoy your spouse. Make sure you have that time together. It's going to bring a warmth through your family. It's going to flow down and and it's going to keep your it's going to keep that love there strong and it's going to stop you from looking elsewhere because that was the whole point of what Paul was saying. Is he saying, "Come on, get satisfied here so you're not looking out there." And in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 5, it says it's he says this as well. He says, "Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Wow, there's a huge truth here. Hey, we should not deprive each other. We should come together and give ourselves to our spouse because it's going to 
it's going to bring warmth, it's going to bring love, but it's also going to protect our marriage. And when intimacy drops, you, when, when, when that temperature starts dropping, when, when things kind of start drying up, you see there becomes a little bit more friction in the marriage. And, you know, the devil has a way to be able to get in there and maybe to create some problems. And sometimes those things can happen just because of very practical things. Maybe you just had a baby. Maybe you just had kids and thinking, oh, maybe we should bring the baby into the bedroom. And hey, if it's going to stop this part of your life, I'd encourage you to make a different decision. You know, you know, maybe you're looking at getting a job overseas and I'm going to be away for a year from my, from my wife. And hey, maybe you need to rethink about what's more important because I think your marriage is more important than that career opportunity. Yes, we need to protect the intimacy that's in our marriage, that beautiful thing that God has given us to keep our marriages alive. And I mean, of course, there are times for when we both mutually agree for a short season to uh, maybe to maybe stop and to pray and all of that. But come on, I, I think there's something here that we need to really grab onto. This is an important part of married life. And number four, I want to encourage you to build your marriages on grace and truth. Because uh, uh, hearing all of this, there may be some things and you're thinking, wow, you know, this is... There's some things I need to adjust in my own life here. And I want to really encourage you to get today. I, I don't want you to feel guilty. I don't want you to feel like you're missing the mark. Um, I understand that we, we're all growing in this. We're all on a journey and that journey never ends. But let's come, let's come in and focus on Jesus and he's going to lead us towards health in this important area, especially around the area of sexuality. So... In Ephesians 4, verse 26 to 27, Paul is talking about really letting go of forgiveness. I mean, sorry, letting go of unforgiveness in our marriage. Hold on to forgiveness. And he says, don't, let the sun, uh, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. And I want to speak specifically to marriages, to married couples here. If we let unforgiveness into our marriage, if we're holding on to anger, holding on to those disagreements, those little things, that, those pet peeves, those, you know, the big things, whatever it is, if you're holding on to that, it's actually giving the devil a foothold into your marriage and we've got to let it go. Every great marriage is built on a foundation of forgiveness. I want to encourage you, let's be like Jesus. Let's choose to let those things go and let's let the forgiveness come back into our marriage. We've all had those nights where you've had a fight with your spouse and you're laying on one side of the bed and they're laying on the other side of the bed and there's an invisible wall between you. Come on, let's get rid of that. Let's get mature. Let's talk about it. Let's work it through because we've got to get to a place of forgiveness. And I know we need help. We've heard a lot of truth in this message. I hope the truth doesn't discourage you because you've got to understand there's also grace that comes along. The Holy Spirit comes along and He helps you. He helps gives you, give you the power to forgive your wife right now. He helps you to forgive your husband. He helps you to move into that, that next level of your marriage 
on a, on a foundation of forgiveness. We need His grace. We need His grace to move into these things. If you've done, if you've done the wrong thing, if you've sinned, if, you've, if, if, this, if your journey has not been smooth, which I'm sure many peoples are not, it's okay. The grace of Jesus is there. He went to the cross for us. He died. He rose again. He paid for our sin so that we could have power, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could live victorious lives, and so that we can have amazing marriages. I was believing for that as a single person. I looked at people in the church who, who had good marriages and I thought, I want to be like that one day. One day I want to be like that. Well, you can. It takes work. It takes truth. We've got to learn the truth. What does God's word say? It also takes grace. Jesus, we need your help, your supernatural help. But here's what it says in Philippians 1 verse 6 as I finish up. I am convinced and confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will continue to perfect and to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus, the time of his return. Hey, when you got saved, Jesus began a good work in your life, but it's not finished. He's going to complete that work in you. He's going to help you. His Holy Spirit is with us today, right now. And I believe He wants to help you and touch your heart and give you power and give you strength and help you to maybe move on some of this truth in His grace, in His forgiveness, as we build great marriages together. So I want to pray for you right now. Lord, if there's anyone here who's maybe struggling with some things, maybe from the past, maybe some, some sin, maybe struggling with uh, maybe some things going on within their current marriage or whatever. Maybe they're a single person even uh, looking, looking ahead towards marriage someday. Lord, we, we ask for your grace, your power. Lord, that you would help us in our areas of weakness. Lord, we thank you that you forgive us. I ask that you help us to forgive our spouses as well. I ask you to help us forgive people who've hurt us. And that may, may we move forward into the blessing of marriage. May we not be put off by the work, but be inspired by the reward, the incredible reward of a godly marriage. So Lord, help us, Lord. Help anyone who maybe is married to someone who's not a believer and maybe struggling in some of that. Lord, give them strength. Uh, I pray you bless their, their marriages. I pray you touch their, their spouse as well. Thank you, Jesus. In your name, amen. I feel the grace of Jesus right now on that prayer. And I also want to pray for anyone else who's here right now. And maybe you're not yet following Jesus, or maybe you were and you need to come back to Him. Now's the time to do it. There's no better time than right now. He's going to come into your life. He died on a cross. He rose again to forgive and to save you, to give you eternal life, to give you a life that is good. And I know we still have our ups and downs, but if you bring Jesus into it, you've got that grace factor in your life that'll just change everything. And so right now, if you want to receive Jesus into your life, why don't you say the prayer that we've put up on the screen, say it with me, and let's believe for God to do a miracle in your heart. Dear Jesus, I believe in you. Thank you for forgiving me. Come into my life and I will follow you. Amen. It's really awesome if you've made that decision to follow Jesus. We celebrate with you. It's a life-changing decision. Make sure you let someone know at our church so they can help you with your next steps. And I'll see you guys next week. Bye-bye. 
Thanks for listening today. We hope that God was able to speak to you through the message. If you consider Lifehouse your church home, or if you were blessed by these messages, then why not consider generously supporting us? Simply go to mylifehouse.com give and find the giving way that works best for you. Have a blessed day and we'll catch you all next time.